0: I was a foster kid. My parents picked me up out of foster care and adopted me. Um, They were so loving. They gave me every opportunity that they could. I went to private school all of my life. Uh, I grew up in church as well. They gave me as many opportunities as possible in church. Eventually, I started to deviate from the church. Uh, Around middle school, I was very interested in creating my own identity and what I found in that was um, an identity in drugs. I started using drugs around the age of 12 and always felt like I needed more acceptance. I used drugs to cover this up. I ended up using almost every drug known to man. I barely graduated high school because of this, but I did graduate. I went off to Nashville for college. Around the same time, my parents also moved to Cincinnati. Um, in Nashville, I struggled a lot. It was a very hard time for me. I ended up getting through a semester of college and moving back in with my parents. My parents didn't have to let me move back in with them, but they did um, under one condition that I went to church with them. We ended up all agreeing that Anderson Hills was our church home. I joined the Anderson Hills Music Ministry. Uh, First I worked with Alec, we got really close and he started asking me questions about the gospel and got me very interested in that. Uh, Then Eric came along and started asking me also questions about what I believed in and I really couldn't tell him what I believed in. Over the next couple months he talked to me a lot about the gospel in ways that I could understand. This really helped me. Uh, We met regularly, and I eventually decided that I wanted to follow Jesus, that I wanted that in my life. Um, I still struggled with the sin that I had at this time. Um, Through this, Eric decided to take me off of the worship team and just uh, really just to spend some time with me and to help me unpack uh, the lies the enemy had told me and the real reasons that I was struggling and the sin that I was. I just kept on going back and forth between living for God and wanting to hold on to my old life. In this time, Eric gave me this book called Kill the Spider. I learned through this book that my sins were just the manifestation of a deeper issue that I had. So I found out that my drug use wasn't just me using drugs but it was really a cry for acceptance and a need for identity that I had created in a place other than in Christ. So God has called me out of all of my sin and my shame into a whole new chapter of my life. Before I, I felt like I had no purpose or worth and God showed me that uh, I have
1: infinite purpose in his kingdom and that I'm worthy, that
0: I'm his son. And, uh, man, Harlan, like, dude, watching you on the drums this morning. And and listen, I was jealous of you this morning, not of your talent, but of the way the Spirit of God is moving in your life. And I think it's powerful. All right, bro? So proud of you, man. So proud of you. Thank you. I can be used even though I've... Done what I've done, and I have been the person that I've been. God says that I'm not that person anymore.
1: Isn't God good? Mm. Miracles happening every day. Well, have you ever been outside uh, taking a nice walk through the woods and suddenly you ran into a cobweb? What do you do? You just start thrashing around and trying to get it out of your eyes and out of your ears and out of your nose. And, of course, nobody knows. what. They can't see the cobweb. They don't know what you're doing. They think you're just suddenly getting weird or something like that. And if you're like me, you also have another thought that's going through your mind, and that is, where is that spider? Is he crawling down my shirt right now? cobwebs and spiders. This is the imagery we're going to be using over the next couple of weeks as we go through this new series called Kill the Spider. And we're going to be looking at how the enemy comes in and messes with us. And we find this, Jesus giving us a warning here in John's Gospel, chapter 10. I'm starting with verse 7. Let us hear Jesus' words. Jesus said again, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. And all who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved, and they will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So who is this thief that Jesus is talking about? Uh, To Jesus, they are all the forces of evil that he came to overthrow, demons, unclean spirits, even the religious authorities who charged Jesus himself was in league with the devil. The thief, robbers, and the wolves who attack the sheep all represent the forces of evil. C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Screwtape Letters, wrote this. There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devil. One is to disbelieve in his existence. The other is to believe and have an excessive and unhealthy interest in him. You see, I, I believe in the existence of the devil. I believe because the Bible does. I believe because Jesus did. I believe because there's no other way to explain the evil that I read about every day in the news. And I believe, most likely like you, because I have been tempted many times by the lies. Now, many people mistakenly believe that the devil is God's opposite. Uh, he is not. God has no opposite. God has no equal The devil is not all-knowing. He is not all-powerful. He is not able to be present everywhere at once. He is not eternal. He was created, and he was created by God. In the first book of the Bible, in Genesis chapter 3, he is described as a crafty serpent that lied to Adam and Eve and caused them to rebel against God's plan for the human race In the very last book in the Bible, in Revelation, uh, we learn that there was a cosmic war in which the archangel Michael led the loyal angels into war with the devil and defeated him, and that he and his followers were thrown out of heaven and cast down to the earth, where his mission is to lead the whole world astray. Created good, the devil is the archetypal example of good gone bad. Evil has a number of names in the scriptures. He is called in Hebrew, Abaddon, in the Greek, Apollyon. Um, Both are translated as destroyer. Uh, Satan means adversary. Devil means slander. In Revelation, he is called the accuser and the dragon. Jesus calls him Beelzebub, which literally means Lord of the Flies. In Matthew 13, he is called the enemy. In 2 Corinthians, he is called Belial, which means the worthless one. In other scriptures, he is called the tempter, the deceiver, the father of lies, and a murderer. So what do these names reveal about his character? That he hates humankind and he seeks our ruin. That he hates God who created him. That he seeks only to thwart God's plans, to wreck his creation, to rob him of glory, and in that sense to usurp God. He is unimaginably malicious, mean, ugly, and cruel. And his his, his temptations are literally testings to destruction. And yielding to them almost always leads to our ruin. And you might think he had great power. He is, after all, called the king of the bottomless pit. Jesus called him the ruler of the world, and the apostle Paul called him the god of this world. And in Jesus' temptation in the wilderness, the devil offers to Jesus all the kingdoms of the world in exchange for his worship and for his allegiance. And Jesus acknowledges that the devil has the right to offer him all of those kingdoms. And so what kind of power does he have? Well, besides tempting Adam and Eve in the garden, he caused physical harm to Job. He caused David to sin. He induced Judas to betray Jesus. He caused Ananias and Sapphira to lie to the apostles. He tried to use Peter to sidetrack Jesus. He caused a thorn in the flesh of St. Paul. And he has the power to blind the minds of unbelievers from the understanding and accepting of the gospel. But he is limited. He is on God's chain, if a long one. God has set boundaries that he cannot pass. And the time will come Will God will throw him into the lake of fire, no more to bother humankind. So that's the bad news. What's the good news? Well, we have to be on our guard. 1 Peter states, The devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour His primary weapon is deception and he gets us to err without any suspicion that what we are thinking and doing are not right. He has wisdom and cunning above all humans. He can corrupt and blind reason. He plays on our prides. He plays on our addictions. He plays on our stupidities. He plays on our temperamental flaws to induce all forms of of mental and moral folly, fantasies, unbelief, misbelief, dishonesty, infidelity, cruelty, exploitation, and everything else that degrades humankind is a plan for your life, consistent with his name, destroyer. And he will do whatever it takes to get a foothold into your life. But then Jesus tells us this, that he is the good shepherd and he promises to defend his flock from evil, even laying down his life to defend and protect us. You see, I've seen people's lives uh, left in a shamble after being ravaged by the enemy only to watch God turn it around and use it for good. I I watched a man almost destroy his his family, his marriage, and his career by infidelity. And on the night that he finally hit rock bottom, he called me up 2 o'clock in the morning crying out for something to save him, and I was able to lead him to faith in Christ. 30 years later, he is still a pillar of that church. See, what I want you to see is that we're in a spiritual battle with a real enemy who has come, Jesus said, to kill and steal and destroy. And the biggest way evil does that is by feeding us lies. In John's Gospel, chapter 8, Jesus says about the devil, when he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. It's what he does. And so I want to give us some ways that we can shine some light on those lies and and then begin to find some freedom from them. And so we're calling them spiders and cobwebs. So where does this come from? Well, Carlos Whitaker wrote a book called Kill the Spider. He grew up the son of a pastor But he had a reoccurring pattern of of making the same sorts of of bad decisions over and over again. And he became so frustrated with his inability to change that he decided to attend a a week-long therapy retreat. And on the way to the retreat, he called up his father to tell him what he was about to do. And his father said this, Carlos, I've watched you your entire life. And you are a professional At cleaning the cobwebs from your life. You are amazing. You are amazing at playing the part and being used by God in spite of your circumstances. But do not go to this place and try to clean up your life. That won't work. Carlos, you have to kill the spiders, you have to find the producer of all the cobwebs in your life and kill it. And it is much more difficult than you think. kill the spider I can relate to that what good does it do to clean all the cobwebs out of my house if I don't kill the spider you knock down a spider web and the next day guess what you've got a new one right Uh, growing up we had a dog whose name was Sam and as he got older he began to develop cataracts that blurred his vision but we didn't know it and so when he would see a, a cobweb in the corner of, uh, of the house uh, and being moved by air, he would be puzzled by it and suddenly he would stand up on his hind two legs and he would just stare at that cobweb. And we'd have guests come over to our house and we'd all be in the living room and we'd be talking away and all of a sudden the dog would come in to greet people and, and then he would just stand up on his hind legs and begin staring at a, at a cobweb in the house. All of our guests were freaked out by it, you know. What's your dog doing? What's his problem? You know, you've heard of of, dog, or of bomb-sniffing dogs. Ours was a cobweb-sniffing dog. And my poor mother, you know, the dog pointed out all, she prided herself on, on having a clean house, and, and the dog was pointing out all of her failures to her <laughs> in front of everyone. It's bad enough when you have personal failures, but when every, the whole world sees it, that's different, isn't it? See, and most of us, you know, we think to ourselves, I'll clean that cobweb up. I'll I'll clean it up later. Who who wants to clean cobwebs? And as long as they're not bothering us, we can live with them. And every once in a while you get hit smack in the face and you'll work like a wild person to to take care of it. So that's what we want to do in the next couple of weeks. We're going to learn how to deal with our cobwebs now. So what is a cobweb? A cobweb is a medicator. It brings false comfort to the lie. A cobweb is the way that we deal with the real issues in our life. So you're wondering if you have a cobweb, well, did a behavior you have just come to your mind? Was there something that um, you were getting in trouble for all the time growing up in school? Or is there something that your family or friends would immediately point out if you were to ask them? Is there something they have to keep apologizing for over and over again? You, you try to stop, but you just can't. You, you pray and you pray and you ask God for help, but nothing seems to change. Something come to mind? See, Cobwebs aren't necessarily some big moral failing. They're not some kind of criminal activity. There are those things in your life that keep tripping you up and messing with your relationship with God and with others. I'm pretty sure I've got three or four cobwebs that need cleaning out. Uh, one of mine is just simply the need for competency. I, I have this thing, I have this, this need, I, I am driven to be competent and, and and to want everybody else to think that I'm competent. So I'm always trying to acquire more knowledge and to gain more skills, which is not necessarily a bad thing until it starts causing me to drive people. And then it begins to interfere with my do you find yourself stuck in a web? Let me tell you about a Bible character who did. We find this story in 1 Samuel, the story of, of Saul. Saul was the very first king of, of Israel. Uh, we meet him in chapter 8, and we learn that, that his father's name was, was Kish, and, and his mother's name, uh, his mother isn't really that well-known in Scripture, but uh, she was famous for making a delicious dish of, of eggs and Swiss cheese and bacon. Uh, her name was Lorraine. It was called Akish Lorraine. That's a little Bible trivia. You can take that home today and share that. Anyhow, back, back to the Bible. Uh, the Bible tells us that Saul was tall and, and dark and handsome. When Samuel comes to him to announce that God has appointed him as a king, Saul is thinking, no, no, this is a mistake. And he says to Samuel, am I not a Benjamite from the smallest tribe of Israel and is not my clan the least of all the clans of the tribe of Benjamin? Why do you say such a thing to me? I'm not fit to be the king. And when it comes time for his coronation, Saul's nowhere to be found. He, they finally find him hiding among the baggage and the supplies. But God touches him and, and begins to change his heart. And, and most of the people love him, but not everyone. It's a kind of a, a, a rough beginning. But finally Saul begins to, to take leadership, but not for long. He messes up big time. And when Samuel comes and and confronts him, this is what Saul says. He says, I I violated the Lord's command and your instructions. He says, I was afraid of the men, and so I gave in to them. Do you see it? Do you see Saul's cobweb? He he so much wants to be approved. He, He so much wants to be loved and accepted by others that he is willing to risk his relationship with God. And that begins a downward spiral. And so Saul has to contend with a powerful neighboring army to the west, the Philistines. And, and out of those wars comes a, a, a new hero, a, a young shepherd boy by the name of David. And David becomes so popular, they make up a song about him. And the refrain goes like this, Saul has slain his thousands, but David his ten thousands. And it becomes an instant hit on Billboard's top ten pop songs. And, and, and this is what happens. It says this in chapter 18, Saul was very angry. This song displeased him greatly. They've credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? Verse 10. The next day an evil spirit came forcefully on Saul, and he was prophesying in his house while David was playing the lyre as he usually did. Saul had a spear in his hand, and he hurled it, saying to himself, I'll pin David to the wall. Verse 12. Saul... Was afraid of David because the Lord was with David but had departed from Saul. You see, like all of us, Saul had a need for acceptance. He had a need to be loved, but he's not sure that he's worthy. He's not sure he's fit to be king. The song simply confirms David's popularity and, and now he fears David. He comes very angry. At that moment, the Bible teaches us that evil gets a foothold in his life. Everybody tries to talk him down. Don't worry about this Saul. David's a, he's a good man. He's an asset to the kingdom. Don't be jealous of him. But he can't. He tries. He tries to, to clean up his cobwebs, he tries to control his, his anger, his fear, his, his impulses. But he can't because the spider is still there. So, what is a spider? Simply put, spiders are agreements that we have made with the lies that evil plants in our minds and our hearts. And those lies sound something like, you're a screw-up. You're not good enough. God doesn't love you. You're not worthy. And like what happened to Saul, these spiders, they get a They get a foothold into our lives, sometimes in in times of trauma or grief or or abuse. And oftentimes this happens when we're still young and vulnerable. And when we begin to believe these lies, we search for ways to comfort ourselves and to escape from the pain that they bring us, just like Harlan did with with the drugs. But we find that we simply get stuck in a cobweb. And the cobwebs, they mess up our lives to the point that we try to clean them out. And we make attempts to clean them up over and over again, but they keep coming back because we're not getting to the root of the problem, the spiders. So over the next few weeks, we're going to try to help you locate your spider and, and to kill them. Uh, I'm going to be working on a few of the cobwebs myself in my life. And, and starting next week, we're going to have a class called... Um, what is oh, Break free. <laughs> the break free workshops. And they're going to be offered on Sunday mornings and on, on Monday evenings to help you go into more depth on how to locate your spider. But here's what I want you to know today. Here's, here's the takeaway. Yes, the enemy wants to destroy our souls. But Jesus has another plan. Jesus wants us to live in, in freedom and, and hope from all the things that entangle us and, and that bring us down. Jesus has a plan for our life. He wants us to live a life that is full and abundant. And he came, his very purpose was to destroy the works of the devil and to deliver us from those patterns of sin that ensnare us over and over again. And when we seek him, he will restore us. He will support us and he will strengthen us to live in freedom and in a peace that we've never experienced before. Let us seek his face. Let us seek Jesus now as we prepare ourselves for Holy Communion.